Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. We'll be reading the, the whole chapter today. 22 verses of this particular portion of Scripture. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, 
but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This section in the ESV translation here and other English translations label this chapter false prophets and teachers. And if I had a title today, it it would be the truth of false teachers. The truth of false teachers. And by that, I mean false teachers are a reality. They exist. I think we know this. But they represent, I believe, one of the greatest dangers that you and I face, false teachers. We find in the Scripture that even while men were being carried along by the Holy Ghost, as Peter had said in the end of chapter 1, in the writing of the Old Testament, even while that was taking place, there were others who were spreading lies and deceptions at the very same time. Truth and falsehood. It seems that in this life, the truth will always be challenged by the lie. That just seems to be the condition of life. The truth, what is true, will always and is always challenged by what isn't true. Challenged by the lie, the right, challenged by the wrong, the the fact, challenged by the fiction. From the earliest days in the Garden of Eden, the truth was attacked with a lie. We know this. The first two chapters of Genesis, the recording of God's creation of the world and us as human beings, and then that dark day of the third chapter, Satan came to Eve and he said to the woman in verses 4 and 5, you will not surely die. In answer to her response to him about eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she said, God has said, we'll die if we eat of this tree. That's the truth. It's true because God has said it and God is true. But that truth is immediate or or is soon attacked by this lie from the enemy, from the father of lies, Lucifer, a, a being, a person, a creation, an angel of God came and confronted that truth and proposed instead a lie. And he says to her, you'll, you'll not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. There was a 
a, a sand, a grain of sand's truth in that, in that at that moment they didn't know evil. They knew of it. They knew it, it was a potential, but they didn't know it, not in personal experience. They, they knew there was such a thing as wrong and evil and, and wickedness, even though they may not have used words like that. They knew inherently from their creator that God had said, don't eat of this tree. All the rest of them are yours to have. Why is it that human beings are ever consumed with the one thing, sin, that separates us from God? The entire garden, entire world, God says, don't eat of this. That was the truth. Satan comes with his lie. And the truth and the lie are opposite one another. Throughout the Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament, again and again we see examples where false prophets who brought destruction in the wake of their lies and deception often ran rampant in the land, telling the people a lie under the banner of truth, saying one thing, Opposite of what God had and was saying. In Jeremiah third, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, we read this. I said, All Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in the place. Jeremiah crying out to God and saying, God, the prophets, men speaking under the auspice of being sent by you and from you, they're telling people that the sword isn't coming, that destruction isn't coming, even though, God, you've told me that it is, and I have told the people that it is, that Babylon is coming, that, that destruction is coming if we do not turn from our ways. And in fact, at that point, it was coming the judgment had been been delivered and this destruction was coming and yet there were these prophets who said, oh, this is not true. Destruction's not coming. Trouble's not coming. It's all going, tomorrow's going to be better than today and the day after better than that and it's all going to be fine. Well, God had said it wasn't. God had said it. it's not going to be fine, Israel, for you. I am bringing judgment upon you because you have rejected me and therefore you are going to go into captivity. It was not Nebuchadnezzar that took them to Babylon. It was God. He said this is coming. And Jeremiah says to God in verse 13 of chapter 14, the prophets are saying this is not true. They're spreading lies. And verse 14, listen to what the Lord Jehovah says. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. So from the beginning, we have this reality, or at least not from the very beginning, but from the very soon after the beginning where man was given this choice to believe the lie or to believe the truth. And he chose the lie and he became a sinner. 
It seems from that moment till now, and, and I believe until time is declared no more, this is the situation in which we find ourselves as human beings, placed right in the middle between the, the lie and the truth. This is the situation, it's almost unavoidable when you think about it. Where, where there is a truth, there is at least one lie. Where there is something that God has said is true, it seems to me there seems to always be someone with something to say that is contrary to what God has said. And just even speaking logically, Whatever is contrary to the truth must be a lie. And whoever proclaims and teaches something that is contrary to truth must be a false teacher. Maybe not maliciously intended. Maybe in ignorance. Maybe, and I believe we see these men today and women, and they've been around all the while, maliciously so, feasting and feeding on the souls of men and women, spreading lie after lie after lie and enriching themselves. Why do we address this passage of Scripture? What is this got to do with us today? It is this. We, you and I, we're right in the midst of this battlefield. This is the battlefield of life. Discerning truth from error. Right from wrong, fact from fiction. What's real, what isn't? This is the struggle that we find ourselves in. The presence of lies that challenge the truth places you and me. We're in a precarious position when you think about it. We are living now in a world that is destined to come to an end. We believe the scriptures about that. But even if you don't and you want to discard the scripture, you cannot deny the undeniable reality that our lives are going to end. Every last one of us, a hundred years from now, will no longer be here. Where will we be? Where will you be? The answer to that question is dependent upon you recognizing what is true from what is false. And there are a great many people today peddling false lies that maybe tickle your ears and make you feel good for a little while, but are going to leave you empty. Why is this important? Why is Peter writing about this? He writes these letters to these people and these are short letters and he spends so much time, it seems, calling out the false teachers. And you can read, did you hear him? And I know he's carried along by the Spirit of God as he writes this, but God has made Peter a unique individual. And can you hear his great Concern about these false teachers as he's labeling them waterless springs. He's concerned about them and so too should we be. None of us like confrontation or I should say few of us. I have run into a few who seem to enjoy it. I don't. Probably to an error I will run from conflict and confrontation. But whatever is contrary to truth must be lie and you and I are placed in this precarious situation it's precarious because 
we do not hold our own lives. None of us hold it. God does. That's the truth. Confronted by all kinds of lies that we eat better and we exercise and we invest our money well and we do good things, we're going to live a long, healthy life and we'll die in our later years surrounded by our families and and our grandchildren and it's all going to be wonderful. There's not a single one of us in this room that know any of that. What's true is this life is precarious. It's uncertain in its length. It's uncertain in the experiences that we're going to have. And we live this precarious life between two things, truth and lies. The truth on the one hand and the lie on the other. Or in many cases, the truth on the one hand and many different lies on the other. To find life, we must accept the truth and reject the lie. To find freedom, we must hold to the truth and abandon the lies. To find peace, we must know the truth. Which, of course, is knowing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in repentance for sin and faith in His sacrifice and trust in God. To find that peace, we must hold to that truth and forsake the lie that peace is found anywhere else. To live in ignorance of or open rejection of the truth, it's going to lead to imprisonment and death. That's what the the Bible here says. And this is inevitable, again. You see, the truth stands as a granite wall a thousand miles thick against which all the lies of the world are dashed into pieces. The truth is the truth. I've often heard people say, we must defend the truth, and I understand what they're saying, but I've always said, felt, the truth defends itself because it's true. Our defense of the truth is this, simply state it. Speak it. Live it. Every lie is going to find itself destroyed on the immovable wall of truth. You know, sometimes in my life I have found myself, you ever heard that statement, beating your head against a wall? I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall. We've all probably felt that at certain times in our life. And if we feel that way, though, and we, we there's about something in our life that continually afflicts us, continually gives us trouble, and we all have those things. I thought, I wondered, as I thought this thought was ruminating, ruminating in my mind and heart, if, if I wonder how many of those times I felt like I'm beating myself against the wall. What's really happening is a lie I am believing is coming into confrontation with the truth. And again, and again, and again, as I believe the lie, and the lie, and the lie, and I am, in a very real sense, doing just that. I'm beating my head against a wall that will not yield because it's true. So maybe in our lives, in my own and yours, maybe we can take from this a self-awareness, a consciousness of if I find myself 
again and again and again struggling. Is there a lie that I'm believing about my life, about the world? Maybe there's a truth I'm refusing to accept. Perhaps there are lies that seem to hold for a while and that we wish are true. But in the end, they, like all other lies, are dashed in pieces when reality settles in and the truth is confronted. Maybe, maybe the lie is something you believe about yourself, as I said. A lie that we believe about someone else. A lie that we believe about the world. A lie that we believe about God. A lie that we believe, a false teaching that we believe about what happiness is. Its purpose. Its place. What love is. What commitment is. What truth itself is. What integrity is. What what godliness is. Maybe there's something in our life, there's a lie we're believing, and, and we believe it and we want it to be true because it makes our lives, we think, better. And yet again and again and again, we pound our lives against the wall of truth that will not yield because we want it to. Whatever it is, whatever that lie is that you believe, I want you to know that it threatens to take your life to the, the, the destruction that it itself is destined for when it eventually smashes against the wall of truth. And most fundamentally speaking, the truth is this. You are a creature created in the image of God in His likeness. You are an eternal being. You were called into existence out of nothing. From nothing, God placed you in your mother's womb. He molded and He shaped you there for some nine months. You came out into the world and you breathed for the first time in this life and you began to eat and you began to experience things in life and you're going to do that for some unknown amount of time and then you are going to come into direct confrontation with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is repent or perish. Follow me or follow yourself to destruction. That's the simple truth of the life that we are living. But let me ask you this question. How can we know the truth from the lie? How do we know? particularly in a world that we are now living in, where the very existence of truth itself is denied, how do we identify and separate what is true from what is false? How do we do that? How do we know? How do we recognize it? You might be saying to this point, well, sure, preacher, this is easy. You're supposed to do what's right and you're not supposed to do what's wrong. You're supposed to believe the truth and you're not supposed to believe the lie. That's not at stake here. Or that's not in question, perhaps. The question is, how do we know? How can we ensure that our lives are based on fact, not being built on a fiction that will one day fail us? How can we ensure that we, we know what is being said is true or it isn't? How can you know if what you believe is true or false? Well, here again, it is the battlefield of our life. That's it. Your struggle as a human being is not to gain the world's riches. It's not to live a comfortable life. 
It's not to live an easy life. It's not to put your feet up and enjoy a world and all of its trinkets and, and enjoy ease and prosperity. It is not what we have twisted the American dream into being. It is not, God has not promised us heaven on earth. He's promised us heaven in heaven. He's promised us tribulation and trial on earth. He's never lied to us. You read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, God has never lied to us. Man has. But God is not. This is the battlefield. How do you separate the false from the true? Many lives have fallen on this battlefield. Many others, though, even after perhaps being thrown to the ground, they've found their feet. They have. They've, they've stood up with the help of God. And they've stood their ground uh, next to the truth and they have weathered this thing called life against all the lies of the enemy. How do you do that? To do this, to do that, I should say, we must first be able to identify the truth and distinguish it from the lie. And in this chapter, Peter provides us with the tools to help us do that. It, this is like know your enemy stuff. You see, you identify false teachers, yes, by what they say, but more by what they do, how they present themselves. In this chapter, Peter is going to share with these that he's writing to and to us by extension, how we can be advantaged in our discernment of what is true from what isn't. And I, I will say this before I move on. I am coming to this question with no apology that I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I believe these 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New, inspired by God. I believe there is plenty of evidence that we won't get into here today, but I'm happy to discuss it, that this book is exactly what it claims to be, the very words of God. That it is true. I come to this question and this issue with no apology saying that I believe the ultimate arbiter of truth is the Word of God as it is, by the way, confirmed in our hearts, which is what Peter had just said, if you remember, in the first chapter. We have these words more fully confirmed because we experience them and we know them not only to be true because we can read them, we know them to be true because we have read and experienced them for ourselves and they are more fully confirmed. I believe that is where the truth is ultimately arbitrated in the Word of God is experienced in the heart and the mind of an individual and I do not believe that that makes it less than objective. I believe it makes it true and experienced in life that makes truth true for us and in us. You know what? You, we all, by the way, some will say, well, you have disqualified yourself from the discussion because you have labeled and you have chosen something to be the ultimate source of truth. And they'll hide behind some fancy language to say, I simply look at what I can see and I make determinations. Well, all you have done is make yourself the arbiter of truth. You haven't done anything different than I have, except we've chosen different arbiters. 
We're in the exact same place when it comes to that. Many rely upon their intelligence, and maybe they're incredibly intelligent. Many rely upon their intelligence. What seems to be logically true, that's how they answer this question, what's true and what's false. They say, my intellect tells me, well, our minds are necessary to separate fact from fiction. They are, but our minds are not the source of truth. Our intelligence isn't the source of truth. My ability to understand the truth does not make the truth true. My inability to understand the truth does not make it untrue. The truth is the truth. Many rely upon their emotions and what they feel is right. And our feelings and our emotions are also important. I do not dismiss them. They are part of determining what is true from what is false. But our emotions as well are not the source of truth. What I feel about the truth doesn't make it true. If the truth makes me feel bad, it doesn't make it untrue. If I don't like the truth, it doesn't matter. It's true. The Bible, and again, particularly the Bible, when its words have been fully confirmed in our own heart throughout our experience with God, as Peter has just said in chapter 1, is what I believe to be the source of truth in the world, and I make no apology for that position. I want to move on and share with you just a few things, and and maybe we'll come back to this next week. I don't know. The Lord just kind of left it with so much, and, and we want to follow him at any rate. He says, though, about some of these false teachers, it says, who will scarcely bring in or secretly bring in destructive heresies. This the the words will secretly bring in in the English translation here in the ESV are translated from one Greek word and it means to introduce factors from the outside. To bring something from the outside in. A, a deeper study of it, it, the sense in this word is it's to introduce something surreptitiously. The King James and other translations use translate this privily. The idea is it's kind of on the sly. It's bringing something from outside in. One way that we can identify a false teacher from a true one is there is a tendency, a consistent tendency, to bring in outside things and treat them in the same way that we would treat the Word of God. Consider them at the same level. The essence of what this is saying is that something from outside is brought in and treated as though it belongs or even supersedes what was already there. The first thing a false teacher will do is bring in new ideas from the outside. But from the outside of what? What is on the inside and what is on the outside? Where? What is the relative position with which we are looking at this? Well, what is Peter talking about? The context of what he's talking about to me clearly indicates that what would be from the outside is anything outside of the Scriptures that Peter has been writing about. Something outside of this book brought in and treated the same as these words, but not these words. Ideas brought alongside the Bible, they're treated with the same degree of importance. This is the fundamental error of Catholicism when it equates the words of a human pope with the words of God. 
This is the fundamental strategy of the false teacher who tells you what you want to hear instead of what the Bible says. And so he or she brings in things outside and sets it as though it belonged on the inside. This happens when a false teacher assures you that the Bible was written so long ago that it can't possibly apply today and you are not to be judged against its standards that's what a false teacher will do. Oh, the Bible's good. You should read it. But you know, it, I mean, it was written thousands of years ago. Christianity's not confined by what the Bible says. More and more Christian people who claim to be Christian believe that. I think we'd probably be shocked to know how many believe that. They're going to bring in something from the outside. They are going to secretly bring in these destructive heresies. That false teacher will come alongside the Scripture and his intent is not merely to bring it alongside the Scripture. His intent is to replace it. To give for you his own standard of truth rather than the standard of God's truth. And in the vacuum created by the removal of Scripture, new ideas, we might say outside ideas, are sucked in and believed instead. Experts in science who can only observe the observable world are believed about things that have nothing to do with this observable world. Experts in psychology who study the mind of a man are believed about things related to the heart of a man. Preachers and pastors who are committed to the Word of God are dismissed in favor of those who bring in outside ideas. And you know, perhaps the most dangerous thought that came to my mind as I considered these things is this. The atheist's word about God who does not know Him are accepted and the words of the one who knows Him are rejected. The atheist's testimony about a God he denies is accepted above the testimony of one who says, I know Him. I have met Him. He's real. I didn't invent Him. This is what happened to me when I got saved. When the Lord saved my soul, didn't make it up. It's not subjective. I defy those who claim that relying or needing an experience of God somehow subjectifies God and truth. I deny that. I deny it with all the power that I can deny it with. It makes it, it does not make it subjective. It makes the truth of God objective in my heart. These words were confirmed in me. What he has said is true. And I know it to be true. Not because you said it. Not because we can be laser precise with the translation of the words of Scripture. As important as that is, that is not the summit of the mountain that we are climbing to know God. 
The summit of the mountain to know God is to be just that, someone who knows him and has had his word confirmed in their heart. But all of these things in the world, when we remove the truth of God's word and we bring in these outside ideas, this vacuum that has been created in our nation by the absence of the word of God has led to countless false teachers and false people who will promise things they can never deliver. So we first see of all the operation of the false prophet, of all the things that he does, first... It is to bring in new ideas alongside the words of God. And when this happens, we can be sure we're dealing with a lie and not the truth. I'm always wanting to hear something new, aren't we? People feel like I, I, I'm missing something. Something, some new idea. The cult leaders will leverage this need in the human heart. I haven't come across the truth. And, and the reality is many of them have. They've come across the truth of the words of God, but you know what's missing? The confirmation of this word in their heart. That's what's missing, what Peter just said. We have these words more fully confirmed. We were there when Jesus was transfigured on that Mount of Transfiguration. It was us. It was us that saw him. I saw him. I was there in the same way when I was 11 years old. Nobody in this room was there with me at that time. I didn't know anyone in this room when I was there with God at that time. But on that day, bowed upon my knees, is when the words that I had been taught as a child and, and memorized many of these passages and could tell you a lot about the Word of God and could tell you a lot about Him, could tell you a lot about Jesus, that day the words were confirmed in my heart and I knew the truth. And they were not new words. It was a new experience of them. For the first time, I knew Him. What false teachers are going to do, they're going to take this Word away. Because through this word, that kind of experience can happen. And needs to. These false teachers, and I'll, I'll close shortly, if the Lord would have me to. They goes on in this scripture in the first verse, even denying the master who bought them. You know, do you know when you're dealing with false teachers, you're, you're, you're not dealing with people who openly deny God. You're dealing with people who dress the part, sound the part, look the part. These are not people. This is not just the atheist. This is the one who claims to be a believer, denying the master who bought them. The atheist is not nearly as dangerous to us as the false teacher is. Not nearly so. Not by a long margin. It's of great interest to me to think that the church 2,000 years ago was facing similar circumstances as we are today. Men who fly the banner of Christianity yet deny the very master who bought them. And by the way, we won't get into all this. I don't have time. These are not people that were saved and lost their salvation. The Scripture is so abundantly clear on that point. I won't take time to defend it here. These are people who claim to have been bought and one who did buy them, paid the price for them, yet they deny him though they might claim him 
with words. They will call themselves Christian and yet deny Christ. Isn't that incredible? Call themselves Christian and yet deny Christ. Well, for them, Jesus said, He'll deny them. Many will follow their sensuality. You might say, I'm not in any danger of these men, these women. Verses 2 and 3. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. These false teachers are not small threats. We're told many are going to follow them. And we see today that many do. Maybe even we do at times. These false teachers are the reason so many blaspheme the truth itself. Why would that be? Why are these false teachers a contributor? Not just a contributor, but says the reason that many will blaspheme the truth. Why is that? I think it's because even an unbeliever can see through them. And yet knowing the truth themselves, they consider the truth empty. And, and yet not knowing the truth themselves, they consider the truth empty and unnecessary. So they look at these who claim to know Christ who do not and are professing falsehoods and are, and are bringing in other ideas outside of Scripture and smiling with their beautiful smiles and landing with their expensive jets and coming to church in their limousines and, and, and making merchandise of human souls. Many follow them because they're telling them what they want to hear. And they think, well, if that man or that woman who seems to be so successful and have things so together, if they believe this, then surely what they say is true. And all they're doing is selling you a batch of lies, waterless springs. As he says in verse 19, and I'll close with this, even though there's so much more here. These false teachers in verse 19, they promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption. I promise you things that they don't even have. And it just is simple truth to say that you cannot give to someone what you do not have. They cannot give you peace. They don't have it. They, they cannot give you purpose. They don't have it. They cannot give you life. They don't have it. But these men and these women, these false teachers, the reality of them, the truth of the false teacher is that they are there and their interest is selfishly motivated and we must ever be aware of them so that we might be prepared to separate the truth from the lie, life from death, that we might live our lives in such a way that is believing and accepting and, and, and grounded by the truth of God's Word rather than the lies of these false teachers. And so long as we trust these false teachers, or if you do in your life, uh, there is a wall of truth that you are heading toward. I pray that you come to know the truth, Jesus Christ. You know Him. 
and in the Holy Spirit as He would guide your heart and direct your heart and identify right from wrong. And by the way, this doesn't mean once you get saved that somehow you're going to be able to navigate these waters perfectly. Not by a long shot. But we're going to have what is necessary to weather these storms and to live our lives according to the truth and identify the lie. And as you examine your own heart today, I just ask you to examine the lies and the truth that, that attend your life and that you would acknowledge and embrace the truth of God and you'd reject the lie. Boy, that's easy to say, isn't it? But I pray that God would give us help, each one of us, whatever lie Satan dangles in our way, leads us down some path again and again and again. If you're like me, that we would then be able to recognize and see what God is trying to tell us. That we would see the truth. And that that truth, of course, would set us free. Pray that the Lord would bless His Word uh, in our hearing today.